0: MSW Media.
1: All right, so we are live here. Uh, 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 what we're drinking is the, uh, is the podcast. Dan Dunn, a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, we honor his time. He's been a great man, a gracious host. We love you all to death. We'll see you soon. Zinky McGinky. Take care.
2: A glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. this is what we're drinking with Dandy.
0: Very exciting uh, day for me on the show because I don't always have a co host. But today I do. All the way in from Chattanooga, Tennessee. You know her, you love her. She's been on the show before. Ash McHugh. Hello, how are you? It's so good that you flew in for this because always. this is such a special show we're doing today. It is. We're coming to you today from a location unlike any we've ever broadcast from on what we're drinking. A sixty-nine million dollar—I guess that's a mansion, right? A estate,
1: mega mansion, compound, yeah, in Bel Air, California,
0: yeah. Yeah. And and what pray tell are we doing here in such a uh, lavish locale? Well, that has everything to do with the guest whose voice you just heard. He is one of the very top luxury real estate agents in the world. In the world, that's a stretch. Maybe in my neighborhood. This <laughs> neighborhood, <laughs> yeah, that's the world for luxury real that's estate. A, fair uh, And he stars on the hit Netflix series "Buying Beverly Hills." Also has a YouTube show called "Liquidated Damages," where he goes, he gets to indulge one of his great passions. We're going to do that today as well. Wine, right there with you, buddy. Yeah. Please welcome to the show, John Grauman. How are you, buddy? I'm hey, let's really get up I'm here. Yes. Good. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much. Really good to be here.
0: It's really good to see you, man. I feel, like, I feel like we know each other because earlier this week, I I turned on buying Beverly Hills and I thought, you know, I'll skim through and just get an idea of who John is. And oh, eight hours later, Sorry I watched that. the entire <laughs> first season in one
1: day. I got hooked. Binge watching. That's it, the newest rage. It's what everybody does. You sit down for what you think right? is going to be an episode before you know it. It's dark outside.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, would say like real estate porn, right? I mean, yeah, you're, you're 100%. watching, and it's not a world that I'm very familiar with, right? I, I, you know, money, big houses, any of that stuff, right? But I'm watching the show, and I'll be honest. Normally, I would probably be bothered by it, but I loved the show, and I thought you guys had such a great vibe on it, and you especially, because there's a lot of gossiping and a little bit backbiting going on, but you yeah. kind of stayed above the fray. Is that? normally how it is or just because of the show
1: no that's definitely uh an accurate portrayal of me and that's frankly one of the things i was most concerned about when i agreed to participate in the show is is being portrayed accurately and not getting sort of you know sucked up in what can be oftentimes a sort of you know gossipy cattiness that you associate with most reality shows um you know for me the show is kind of broken out into two parts as you saw right there's the Uh, relationship between Mauricio and his daughters and the dynamic of them working together and then there's you know they wanted to try to put a different spin on a real estate reality show and show what it's like through the eyes of a true rookie agent an actual brand new agent to the industry and how do they make it in this highly competitive contentious cutthroat industry well every mentee uh, mentee needs a mentor so that's where I step in so the nice part about my involvement in the show is that I kind of just get sprinkled in to like drop some wisdom give out some knowledge and I'm gone so I just kind of come in and provide the house porn, as you said, and give those big, beautiful backdrops, because um, that's, that's really kind of how I had hoped to be involved, and I'm happy with the way it turned out.
0: And by the way, when you say Mauricio, you're talking about Mauricio Yamansky, Correct. who is the founder, CEO of The Agency, that's the name, and, and then you have your own sort of subsection of that, the Grauman team.
1: Kind of, yes. So Mauricio, as you said, is the CEO and founder of a company called The Agency, which is the brokerage where I work. Um, I, however, have my own group within that uh, agency called Bond Collective. Bond Collective is the biggest real estate team at the agency and one of the biggest teams in the country. We did just shy of about $1.4 billion in sales last year, um, which oh. certainly puts us yes. as you know one of the top teams in the country. I don't know about the world, but certainly the country. Um, so again, it, it's we got to showcase a lot of those really big, beautiful listings that we have the privilege of representing, such as one that I had for $139 million, which you saw in the finale, Mm -hmm. where Mauricio and I are sitting there having that scene together in the living room. So, you know, for a lot of people, we kind of have to pinch ourselves, right, that we actually get to tour through these homes as just part of our, like, daily occurrence. And we have to remind ourselves that most people will never see the inside of one of these big homes. Mm -hmm. You just don't have that opportunity. you are never be given that access. So it's fun to be able to kind of showcase that and invite people into those homes on, on camera. That
0: place, so you did sell it?
1: No, Not sadly yet. that okay. one we haven't sold. That was
0: the one that has the, the giant screen that comes up from the pool.
1: Yeah, 25-foot screen that comes up yeah, from behind the pool. It's
0: it's almost incomprehensible. Like, yeah. to, when you see, even the place, there was another house, uh, maybe it was in the last episode of the one before, uh, uh, the woman, I can't remember her name, the developer, it was about a $40 million home.
1: Oh, sure, the one on Orem. And
0: it, was, it looked like it was on stilts, kind of. Yeah. Pool. Even even, only $40 million. Like, I'm looking at this and going,
1: it's, it's hard to imagine that there are people in the world that can go, yeah, I'll take that. And that's one of the questions I probably get most, is who buys these homes? How many people can afford these homes? And the answer is more than you would think, but still, it's a fraction. It's a fraction of a tenth of a percentage of the world's population. Obviously, you're talking about, you know, the smallest pond you can possibly be fishing in, But by the same token, it's more than you would think. We just listed a property last week for $28 million here in Bel Air. We had seven showings in the first week. That means there's seven qualified buyers in town, in the market for a $28 million home that think that particular home might be the right fit for them. Right? There's a lot of different factors that come into play there. To have seven showings within the first week on a $28 million house in what is supposedly a down market... Again, look, I, I was born and raised in L.A. I'm actually fifth generation from here. My family's steeped in old Hollywood history. My uh, great, uh, excuse me, my third cousin. Were well, you
0: Grauman? Is that Grauman's, Grauman's Chinese Theater? Theater. That is, so yeah. I, when, I, when I brought that up the other day, and they said, oh, is he is he part of that family? I said, I didn't see that anywhere. Yeah. yeah, so
1: Sid Grauman was a cousin, um, and he obviously built Grauman's Chinese Theater at the same time. One of my great-grandfathers was the head of RKO Pictures, and the other one was the business manager for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Wow. So very sort of steeped in old Hollywood history. Again, my family's been here forever, and I only say that to make the point that it never ceases to amaze me, the astronomical amount of money that exists in this town. <laughs> it's it's just well, I mean, first baffling. Of
0: all, I want to ask you this, Ash, because you live in Chattanooga, but first thing we got to do is, we've been talking way too long on
1: that, I agree. what yeah. we're drinking, totally so agree. let's
0: have a, a toast here with a little bit of white wine. We've got- Cheers. Yep. Cheers. Thanks, we guys. got some Kendall Jackson uh, Grand Reserve Chardonnay. And as, as I teased earlier, John's passion is wine. It is. And so uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. This is a 2020 Chardonnay, okay. Santa Barbara County. It's 100% chard. What do you think? That's nice. I love it.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. really nice. Smooth, has some nice citrus notes to it. Not too buttery, not too oaky. Yeah, yeah that's
0: 93% a nice... French oak. Uh, 29% of that's new. Santa Barbara County is one of the coolest grape-growing regions in California. Sure. So it it does lend itself to growing Chardonnay. It does, and Pinot yes. Noir as well. Pinot Noir right? and yeah.
1: Chardonnay is typically what you're going to find. And we're going to have some Pinot region. as well. But yeah.
0: what's funny is I don't know how much this wine costs. I know what the other two cost, but uh, it whatever nice it is, yeah. But I mean, do you, do you factor that in and you're like, does it matter to you? Are you... Price? Okay, so I used to write for Rob Report, right? Okay, I was a sure. spirits writer and wine writer for Rob Report. And the philosophy there was I could go to them and say, hey, I found an amazing wine. It's sure. 18 bucks. No. Immediately no, because sure. it doesn't fit the, the brand. Now, are you into finding those value wines, or you would you prefer to do...
1: I'm definitely into the discovering more sort of off the beaten path, smaller production type of wineries. To me, it's all like, it's in the thrill of the hunt, so to speak. Mm. So my wife and I go up to Napa Frequently we have a place up there. Um and for us, like, look, it's easy to just like go up and down Highway twenty nine and peel off where like all the big tour buses are. But that's like if you can find it at your local market, then why would you even possibly waste your time there? To me, it's about finding again the more boutique production, cult like wineries that are producing really killer juice, but they're only selling it direct to their mailing list, or they're only selling it direct to local customers, um or excuse me, local restaurants um that maybe do, you know, two, three, four hundred cases a year. Like yeah. that that's my jam. That's what I try to search out.
0: I'm with you on that. I mean, you know, we're talking about Kendall Jackson here, first of all, like up there. So they sort of run the gamut because then you've got like Cardinal, yep. uh, which is up in Napa. Yep, Chris right Carpenter, a winemaker yep. there. He's phenomenal. I mean, those are 100-point wines, $250 a bottle if you can get it. Yeah, about uh, that. Then you go over to Sonoma County and they've got Verite. Mm-hmm. Again, 100-point wines. You better be on the mailing list in order to get them. Yep. But it is that thing about... It, it, you're You're so right. Like there's something... I've always said this about wine being experiential because people will say, you know, what's your favorite wine? I'm like, I don't know. I think wines are not only about the quality, it gotta be a quality wine, but it's also like, who are you with? Yep. Those oh, are the yeah. wines you remember. Oh, we were at Bottle Rock and we were right. drinking this wine and I was with one of my favorite people in the world at that time and that That
1: wine is always going to be special to you. It's a sensory experience through and through. You know, what oftentimes happens is you taste a wine at a winery, and maybe you've come from a couple other wineries, and maybe you're with some friends, and you're in this special mood, and you buy a case of it, you get home, you open, you go, ah, God, this this doesn't taste like what I remember, because you weren't in that same place, right? And it's just, it's everything from your surroundings, the people you're with, Um, the setting, the mood, all of that, I think is a sensory experience. Um, but you know, the fun thing about Napa is Napa has really become sort of a billionaire's playground. Uh, There's so much wealth up there and so many people that made their fortunes in other avenues and then just decided that one of their passions was wine. So they wanted to start a winery. Um, the beauty of that is that you got a lot of guys there that are just striving for excellence, no matter the cost. Yeah. They're not looking to turn a profit. They probably never will turn a profit. They don't give a shit if they profit. Well that was Jess profit. Jackson. I mean yeah. that was
0: Jess Jackson made his money in, in another I think it was in finance, I believe, mm-hmm. but and then went up there and it was the same thing. And then obviously his situation was different. Kendall Jackson actually did turn a profit. Kendall Jackson, a large I would one. imagine,
1: probably has a nice profit margin. But yes. it's funny
0: you mentioned that, John, is when we were talking off the air about my book, American Wino, and that was exactly one of the things I learned, I drove around the entire United States and I had wine in places where you would never think to have wine. You know, North Georgia, up by yeah, that, right. uh, Louisiana, yeah, like yeah. all these places. And I remember it was so magical being in a lot of these places and the, the wineries were beautiful and the people are cool and I'm drinking with them and I'm like, this is great. Then they sent me the wines later, right. try them at home and I'm like, eh, I don't know if this North Georgia wine's as good as I remember it. Because when, <laughs> yeah. when I was there... With the winemaker, and sure. hearing the stories of like, why did you choose to put a winery here at the foot of the, is it Appalachian or Appalachian? Man? Appalachian. Okay, Appalachian, yeah. you know, right, know. yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, why would you choose to do that? And then when they tell you their story and about, I mean, I was in, there was a, a winery in the Bra- uh, Wyoming, mm-hmm. okay, family farm, going under, you know, being put out by big agriculture and the kid goes to the university of minnesota and learns how to make wine turns the family winery or turns the family farm into a winery wow. and i pull up there's a, tri- a double wide right go in this is in western wyoming and there's cowboys legit like 70 year old cowboys hunkered up to these you know plastic stools Friday afternoon drinking, drinking wine. Wyoming wine and it was magical. And now would I ever go to sure. Spago and say, uh, Hey, you got a wild wine here? They'd be <laughs> well, I like, to no, that, that place. <laughs> it was great. Cowboys, I mean, yeah. wine? Hey, but right. it's, it's, I, I couldn't recommend someone like you, John, who's a, I couldn't recommend it more highly to just go to places like Hill Country in Texas, right? Just South of Austin, which is the second leading wine tourism region mm-hmm. in America besides right? Napa and Sonoma. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and it's, they make great wines down there like texas is really doing it but even the places like virginia you know pennsylvania finger lakes obviously in new york but anybody that's into wine i really recommend going around the country that'd be
1: it. fun because you know wine is one of those things that can be taken very seriously and honestly i'm probably lean more towards that side of like you know i'm into like some you know serious wines that um, some, from some of what I think are some of the best producers in the world, but you know, it can also just be a little more fun and lighthearted, and doesn't have to be taken so seriously. And I would imagine that's probably a little bit more of that approach in some of those parts, in some of those areas you're talking about.
0: Now, how how much of a, a uh, help is it? to be a wine connoisseur in your business, because let's face it, people that are buying these, we're sitting in front of a magnificent, uh, we'll go check out the video at the imbiber. You'll see this wine cellar that we're sitting in front of right now, or we're sitting in. um, And how much of a, a help is that to you to be able to,
1: A lot. Talk intelligently
0: with these people about That's a great
1: question. So I often talk to agents on my team that I have the opportunity to mentor that everybody has their superpower, right? You have to find out what yours is. For example, we have some kids on our team that are amazing golfers. That's a superpower because if you can get out there and really hit the ball, that person that you're playing with, they don't care what your bank account is. They don't care about anything else than the fact that you can hit the ball and we can get along because there's commonality there. My superpower is wine. It's food and wine, right? That's just where I'm sort of at my best is over you know, a really great meal with a wonderful bottle of wine and that's me in my sort of comfort zone. So I strive for those opportunities. I seek out those opportunities to take mm-hmm. clients out for nice dinners, to take trips to Napa with clients because, you know, you can... Look, a lot of my business is just building rapport with people, right? Rapport equates to trust and all of that stems from commonality. So that's one commonality I try to find and the reality is, not to stereotype, but most people that can afford this kind of house are going to be into food, wine, and travel, which are three of my biggest passions.
0: Yeah. Were well, you... um Do you ever just show up when you're meeting a client and have, you know, say a, just a rare bottle of wine?
1: I bring a bottle of wine everywhere I go. I'll bring a bottle of wine to the gym. I mean, I I come prepared. I'll always have wine Because in California, you have, you know, corkage essentially anywhere you go with the exception of a couple of restaurants, which is amazing. And when you go to other parts of the country and you see that you're not allowed to bring your own wine, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even know what to do there because so much of that wine, again, you want to have on the right occasion, which is usually like a special occasion, a birthday or an anniversary, you're not eating at home. You want to eat at a restaurant. You want that ambiance. You want the, you know, the, you know, Michelin-starred chef. You want all of that. So I love to bring wine wherever I go and just share it with people. Wine's meant to be shared.
0: It is. And it's meant it to be
1: enjoyed with food. That's one of the other sort of misconceptions about wine is, you know, it wasn't until like 20 or 30 years ago you could just go to a bar and order a glass of wine as a quote-unquote cocktail, right? Mm-hmm. It was meant, it was literally created to be paired with food. You don't even really know what you're drinking unless you have something to pair it with and balance it with. So, I don't know. Again, so I'd what like would to you do with to, this?
0: What would you do yeah. with this Chardonnay?
1: You could do any number of things with this. The first thing that comes to mind would be like a stone fruit and burrata kind of salad. Mm. That would be delicious with yeah. this. Yeah, perfect. That sounds yeah. good. A white, nice white fish would go well with this. Delicious as well. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I like it. Now I want to go back to something I thought of when we were talking about you talk about the real estate here. Yeah, Ash, you live in Chattanooga. Yep. what would be like the most expensive home in Chattanooga if you had to guess? Well,
2: we just sold, had one sell. I think it was fifteen thousand, maybe or fifteen million, fifteen thousand. It was a real
0: 15, spectacular. really
2: spectacular. I thought, that, I thought was, that was. I was quite serious. Yeah. I think no, a, square feet. Okay. We, we had a we had a gorgeous modern home that recently sold, and it was upwards of you know. I don't know, 15 million, 20 million. I'll have to look it up, but gorgeous. But it's only one. Only one. So.
0: That's it. Yeah, it's the only.
2: Actually, it was um, Olin Mills, the photographer. Oh, really? That was his family that had created it. So it was spectacular. The lighting was gorgeous, obviously. Right. But yeah, it was a, an anom- anomaly. I mean, look, Chattanoid. that's why they
1: always talk about the three, you know, principles of real estate are location, 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 mm-hmm. right? You take a $10 million house in Beverly Hills, you pick up that house, you drop it in the middle of the desert. It's no longer worth ten million dollars, right? Yeah. right? It's all about everything. It's real estate is a hyper location specific business.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and, and where we're sitting right now is right.
1: the center of the top five
0: in the world. I guess, sure, m- yeah. most valuable the absolute location. center. I mean, of the I I used to live in. It's funny. We we'll tie this back to wine. I lived in Aspen for a while, and um, my first experience ever. It's so bad with a really good wine. Mm-hmm. This is a, this story is probably going to make you ill. When okay. You, we're out party. We don't give a shit, right? Like, I don't know anything. I'm in my 20s. I don't know anything about wine, you know? And with a friend of mine and his father, I'm not going to say the name because you would know who it is. Very, he's a famous person. And uh, he lived on Red Mountain. Okay. So if anybody that knows Aspen, you've got a- Aspen Mountain where you ski on one side and then there's town and then on the other side is Red Mountain, which is where the captains of the universe have homes, right? So we went to his house. <laughs> Titans we went, of industry. Yeah. We went to his, his dad's house. And we were, you know, 20 sheets to the wind at this point. Yep. We brought, we had two uh, uh, young ladies that we met out of them. We're like, we're trying, let's Why go. And, mm-hmm. and he said, let's go, let's get some wine. And I don't know if I've ever had wine. You know, I was like, that's, that's how unsophisticated I was. And he said, yeah, my dad's got this cellar.
1: Yeah, oh, God. So we
0: go down <laughs> to the cellar and he said, I do? said, what can we do? What can we have? take anything. And I go, no, nah, dude. And he goes, no, nah, no, let's do, do this one. Let's find the dustiest one. Right. right? And so he did. Oh, you're going to. Must be no one wants you're that. Gonna, you're want going to shit when you hear what we opened. So this would have been 20, 30, or 25 years ago. It was in 1945. Uh-huh. Mouton
1: Rothschild. Wow. <laughs> opened it, probably drank a
0: glass or two, and left it on the table. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Criminal. Wow. Criminal. She'll take you out back and shoot you for that. I'm serious.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. It was God. so, like, and I only remember the, I don't even, like, I remembered, like, how do you say it? And I asked somebody the next day, and that's why it stuck in my head. I wouldn't have normally even remember the name right. of the wine, but I was like, what's Mountain? Melton... <laughs> and I remember Rothschild. I go, like, oh, that sure. sounds rich. You know? Yeah. So, uh, what is that? And somebody, and I told somebody the
1: next day, and they were just like, what? criminal what yes yeah, sacrilege
0: and that's how it all began right. yes the only thing that, that, that story yeah, worse is if you would
1: have said that you then poured coca-cola in it and then I would have oh. actually gotten up and left
0: mm. it was aspen it might have been a different kind Would what did you say you said coca-cola yeah. oh, oh no, 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 no I wrote in my first book that the atms in aspen spit out rolled up 20s yeah. like we go yeah that's how they came out. Yeah. and on that note why don't we take a quick break And then we're going to come back with John and Ash, and we're going to try a little bit of red wine. Great. And hear a little bit. We'll get a little bit more into the show. I want to talk about some specifics there. Sure. Take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Friends, I made a resolution to be a better me in 2023. One of the many ways I intend to do so is by being the very best home bartender I can be. Thing is... Among my other big resolutions are don't waste time and don't waste money. Let's face it, whipping up cocktails at home can be an expensive and time-consuming effort. You don't always have time to go out and get fruits and veggies and squeeze them and juice them, or at least I don't anyway. And that's why my refrigerator is always well-stocked with Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor is a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that taste splendiferous. They offer nine unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to tantalize any palate, including the two newest flavors, strawberry and lemon and grapefruit and sea salt. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. And right now, Fresh Victor is ready to help you be your best cocktail making you. ...with a killer deal. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart... ...and at checkout, enter promo code FVDan20. FV, for Fresh Victor, Dan, my name, 20. FVDan20. Get 20% off your order. How's that for a sweet deal to begin the new year? Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the markets. And that's Fresh Victor.
2: When the only sound is the frozen silence of winter you go to work, throwing mountains of snow back into the sky, and when the track becomes a railroad again, it's Miller time, time to head for the best tasting beer you can find, Miller High Life. If you've got the time,
0: we've got the beer. Miller Beer. Miller Beer. We're back with John Grauman, Ash McHugh, Dan Dunn. You know that though. And we are in Bel Air, rarefied air. We're, we're, we're high up. Yeah. The view's amazing. Yeah. You gotta have the view, right? I mean, every, every property that I saw on buying Beverly Hills pretty much had it. Having awesome a big view.
1: view is definitely gonna command a huge premium, but so does flat land. Right. I mean, if you think about it, anytime you're in an elevated position, which is say in the hills, you're going to have some kind of a view. The quality of that view is going to vary. But the hardest thing to find in the hills is actually flat land. So if you can find a flat pad with a big view in the hills, that's, you know, that's the trifecta. Okay. Yeah.
0: I want to get into the geeky stuff a little bit about the show, like how it works. So I'm how real estate works. You're you have a team and you work and you're at the agency how does all this because a lot of people are always coming to each other going oh i got this list i mean everybody seems to be working together how do you split the money the commission like if someone brings you okay who's the guy joey that's yeah. on the show so he was selling his aunt's property yeah but somebody else one of the other guys came in and was helping him and yeah does he get a taste or yeah
1: no? yeah yeah so just brass tacks there's two sides to every deal Right There is the listing broker that represents the seller, and then there is the selling broker, more commonly known as the buyer's agent, that of course then represents the buyer. There's a commission that's going to be offered on every deal. That commission gets paid to the listing broker, who then splits that commission with the cooperating broker, mm-hmm. the buyer's agent. Okay, So let's just say there's a 5% commission going to be paid, which is industry standard. Then they're going to be 2.5% to one side, 2.5% to the other. Okay. Right. So each side has their own representation.
0: So with, if one of your... Junior agents, yeah. uh, Let me. I'm trying to, I, I mean, I just watched the whole Sonica, thing. Sonica, Brandon. Sonica, Brandon. Yeah. Okay, they sell a home. You're, you're getting a taste of that as well?
1: Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, not to get too granular here, but it depends on the origin of that deal. So if I'm giving them that lead and I just asking them to go service it, then they're going to take a small cut of it. If they originate it through their own sphere mm-hmm. of influence and their own you know, grit and effort, then they're going to take a bigger cut of that. Okay.
0: And how much does being on a show... Yeah. such as buying Beverly Hills, impact doing your actual job? Is it, is it? Does it help?
1: Does it hinder? What It impacted during filming. I mean, that's, it was no joke because we filmed that show in roughly two months. I mean, there was a handful of like pickup days and pickup shoots that followed in the months that followed. But for the most part, we filmed 90% of that show in two months, wow. which means we were filming, you know, two, three, four days a week. Um, So it impacted it in that respect. And then obviously since it's come out, it's just been nothing but a positive impact. It's just still surreal to me. I mean, like this is my first time ever being on a show like this. And I remember like the week after it came out, I was was at a charity event and I'm walking through this crowd of people and I walk past this guy and he looks at me and he goes, those eyebrows need their own office. And I was like, what? (laughs) This guy's quoting the show to me? You like, do have
0: amazing eyebrows. And it was they remarked somebody made a remark about it That's on the point. show. That's my point from
1: that it's from that line in the show where he's like, you know, something about my eyebrows being iconic and needing their own office, which like, guys, this is I'm just doing the best I can with what I was given. Like right. if yeah. I didn't if I didn't trim them it would be like, you know, a headband. Like this is, you know, huh. I do the best I can with what I got. Had
2: good eyebrows. And then I saw you today and I'm like, oh.
0: No, I feel weird. left they out. I've, sh- I've got shitty eyebrows, don't I? Glad no, no, you can say a, it. No, we could, mean, can we fix them. You got I mean, I can see I'm definitely pulling up the rear here in the in the eyebrow. Cat, you guys are could be eyebrow models.
1: Yeah, you yeah. do have really good eyebrows. Thank you. They're really well, yeah, Thanks they're really hard. well sculpted.
2: Yes, every day a little bit
1: of a me too. That's yeah. a That's I've yes. never, yeah. I've never had my eyebrows done.
0: No,
2: I do it myself. Exactly. Right. I know exactly how they need to be.
0: Cheers. All right, that. let's cheers to the eyebrows. <laughs> Get here, and what we're drinking now? We've moved on to red wine. We're doing a uh, KJ Vintners Reserve California Pinot Noir, twenty twenty one. I got. This is a 91 point wine wine enthusiast. Uh, it's 100 percent Pinot Noir, 20 bucks a bottle. It's yeah, about a value buy. wine. what yeah, do you think? Yeah, it's a good buy. Yeah.
1: it's good. I mean, obviously going to be lighter, brighter fruits, lots of cherry notes in there. I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting like, a little black cherry. It's easy. yeah like you definitely right get off the that and getting
0: that. a little bit of a when I on the nose, I got a little burnt toast thing going. Did you get that? I don't know, but I can revisit. Let's try it,. Yeah.
2: I like it. I think it's really easy to drink. I think yeah. yeah. And I mean, I could have a couple, three of these. You could yeah. yeah. Well,
0: glasses or you know. bottles. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: So, the wine's great. Now let's give. Now I want to get back to the. So now you, you've got these. Did the, your Junior agents get ahead? Like, did they get a little bit of a big head on them now because they're on a TV show? Do you have to deal with any of that stuff post production or post show airing?
1: Maybe with some, not with the ones on my team. We, we have a really amazing group of people. It's a solid culture that, like, we're not letting anyone, you know, get too big for the bridges, myself included, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, look, it's a great opportunity and it's great exposure, but, like, at the end of the day, we sell houses. Yeah. Right. Like I was at a restaurant, a beautiful restaurant in Montecito with my wife for her birthday a few weeks ago. And, you know, this is a world class kind of restaurant. And the waiter who's serving us and this is, our, you know, again, career like professional mm-hmm. waiters for like three hours. This guy waits on us, does the most amazing job. And at the end, he comes over and he goes, so uh, how's being famous treating you? And I was like, the fact that he even recognized me blew my mind. But I just looked at him I was like, dude, I just sell houses. Like, I mean, it's amazing that we got to portray it on, on television for the whole world to see. But like. Well, how do they determine who? Oh, go ahead, Ash.
2: No, you come across so authentic. That's your Thank first you. impression of when, when we meet. And that's rare, especially in this town. But you are. You are just authentic. And I think you bring the elevation to the show.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, look, the reality is we deal in very high price points. Those high price points have big commission checks attached to them. And as a result, you know, there are some agents out there that just kind of think that they're the start the star of the show so to speak that they are that it's about them when it's not so rule number one you're about talking those, about ben right i'm not specifically <laughs> talking about anyone who are super clear <laughs> i, I watch no names not i watch i know who, who you're talking clear. about it. john's not saying that i'm saying that but yet. you know they tend to make it about themselves and again we have a lot of you know newer agents like brandon and sonica that we have the opportunity to mentor and groom and i always sit down with each one of them i say rule number one take yourself out of it this isn't about you has nothing to do with you. You're merely a conduit. You are here to help shepherd these people from steps A to B to C in what is oftentimes a very daunting and one of the most important decisions of their lives. But it's not about you. And I think people get a little bit too much too wrapped up in the ego of it. Mm-hmm. So yes, thank you for that. I, we you know we try to stay super grounded.
0: How do they determine? How did they determine who was go? So you mentioned your wife, your wife also works. There's not really on the show though. How do they determine, how do they determine who was going with, was that casting or did, did Mauricio say, this is who I
1: want on the show or how did that work? We, we, we casted for it. um, Which again is just sort of, I mean, again, if you, if you're not like a paid actor that goes out on auditions, just being casted is a weird experience. It's just a foreign one, I would say. So yeah, everybody had to go out and cast for it. And then how they selected them, honest to God, I have no idea. I think that I probably got selected to provide the house porn, right? I think it's the eyebrows. The eyebrows 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 don't don't hurt. But, you know, (laughs) I also know that, like, or at least I think, they probably looked at me and were like, "Mm, he's probably a little too polished. Like, he's not going to say anything outlandish. He's not going to throw anyone in the pool or throw wine in someone's face, which I'm not. But, you know, I think that they also wanted to kind of elevate what real estate reality shows are known as. And, like, let's, you know, inject a little professionalism in here. And then let's show the big, beautiful houses.
0: Well, everybody... I guess this is just the norm for that bit. But everybody's good looking.
1: Right? <laughs> everybody on the show is, you know, there's. I, I would imagine casting probably had something in that as well. Yes, well, I would yeah. imagine the casting director. Probably but I mean, had, even
0: the people yeah. in the background that weren't on the show, everybody looks. I mean, I guess, I guess you can, you're selling an image though, it's too, a right? Good
1: looking yeah. industry. It yeah. we really don't is want and, ugly.
2: I mean, look at this. We want pretty, 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 hot, yeah. hot, hot. Yeah. Right? The other
1: thing is, I mean, think about this. So. You know, LA is obviously this is a melting pot of people that come from all over the world. Most people come here with a different sort of agenda or objective mm-hmm. in mind. They want to be an actor, they want to be a model, they want to be something in that arena. What do most of them end up doing? Wait, bartending, waiting tables, right? Because they're trying to make podcasting, it. Like, podcasting, yeah. sure. Um, and real estate is another one of those industries, unfortunately, because there's too low of a bar for entry mm-hmm. that a lot of people are like, "Oh, I take this online test and here's my license, and boom, I'm a fiduciary." Great, I'll do that. So you get a lot of sort of part-time and transient agents, which unfortunately gives us that sort of negative stigma of, you know, the used car salesman, which we try to, you know, separate ourselves from. But you also get some really beautiful people is the point. Well, you mentioned
0: that, and they said in the show, there were like 89% or something of real, they, they're out in the first six
1: months. 87% are out in the 1st 87 percent are two years.
0: Yeah, wow. done. So what, is, let's, you, you mentioned your family, but what was your background? Because there was, on the show, somebody mentioned you had a musical, by right? You yeah. were in the music business. Not
1: musical. I'm not I'm the furthest in music, thing from musical, You were in the music, you were roadie, yes.
0: and you did. So yeah. how did you, how did, tell us a little bit about that, and then how did you make the transition
1: to real estate? Yeah, so believe it or not, I started as a rave promoter. Um, raves yeah
0: yeah oh yeah that's right they did they showed that on the show i mean
1: again like i'm keenly aware of like what i look like i see my reflection in the mirror every day i know it doesn't sort of match the image which comes off sort of polished now but i was a rave promoter i was that kid standing on a street corner passing out flyers and throwing parties and this is like the mid 90s this is when we're still like in underground illegal warehouses um So, you know, back then I was working with a guy named Pasquale Rotella, who now, uh, who owns a company called Insomniac, Mm -hmm. who does EDC, Electric Daisy Carnival, and the biggest festivals on planet Earth. Literally the biggest festivals on planet Earth. And back then, him and I were, you know, throwing these parties in the late 90s that were still really big for the time. You know, we had... 10, 12, 15,000 people, which back then
0: was I mean, Who were the DJs? Were you like Paul Oakenfold type? He hadn't
1: f- really made it here yet. He kind of came out in like the early 2000s. This was more like, and we hadn't even seen that British invasion yet. So it was really the local guys. It was DJ Dan. It was Donald Glaude. It was um, Christopher Lawrence. It was... Um,
0: I wonder if you would know this guy. I grew up in Philly, yeah. as we talked about. And a guy, that used to, a guy that used to... Well, two guys that used to be at our local bar, yeah. a place called Zero, and they both went on to become... Josh Wink... Yeah. who became like yeah, one day I pick up Rolling Stone and I'm like there's Josh and I'm yeah. like what the hell and he's getting like a million dollars to play yeah. and then King Brit and King King Brit be, went into diggable planets yeah and yeah yeah but,
1: Josh Wink was a legend because he produced a track called Higher State of Consciousness that okay. at the time was just like and it's so funny you go back and listen to it now wait these songs
0: have names yeah I've been to Raves and I'm what like, to me, called? it's just one long song. Like, Probably because yeah. I was on a ton I mean, <laughs> of E at the time, but I'm like, ah, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. The one song that I heard the whole night. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, believe it or not, they're actually separate tracks. And, anyways, um, yeah, Wink was, you know, a legend back then. The other guys that Diesel Boy is a huge guy out of Philly that I signed. Um, Nigel Richards was a big guy out of Philly. Um,
0: well, then they started. Six Eleven Records, that's, right? That's weren't Nigel. a lot of the DJs yeah, yeah. Right? That, yeah, Okay, yeah.
1: there you go.
2: Yeah. Wow. Do you miss those days? Yes,
1: yes. terribly. Is it that obvious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah.
0: Now I'm ready to like. I where are we going? I mean, Let's go. Know, yeah. yeah like, funny. I
1: actually look. It's been, I'm so far removed from it at this point. I actually have to remind myself mm-hmm. that like the memories in my head were memories that I actually live, not just like a film that I watched. Yeah. Right. That like you have to right, kind of be like, right? oh yeah, twenty five years ago, I fucking die. I did that. Can we can we swear on this? Oh, you can say whatever you want. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. I've been like whispering it. Um, but <laughs> so yeah. there are moments when you're changing diapers, you got two kids when, yep. when
0: you're changing diapers going, I remember, we that. I
1: remember I used to be, no, when I'm and changing the diapers, it's usually, how did I end up here? That's what so,
0: I mean. Like going, how did man, this, like, how am I here the, you know, right not now? That, not that obviously love your kids, but yeah. it, there, well, I don't have I any kids. kids. Yeah. Ash yeah. has, have, Ash has eight a son. Yeah. Yeah. There must right. be, I, I always wonder with my friends that have kids is that moment when you go, it's over. Yeah. I'm never going to another rave again. I'm never, you know.
1: Yeah. My wife and I have that, those moments all the time because, and we always think about like, what would our life be right now if we had kids? Because when we met, so my wife and I met in 2011, right? We were coming off the heels of the, the mortgage crisis and keep in mind, I'm skipping way ahead in what, my career, but I was a mortgage broker in the early 2000s and I was a mortgage broker during the mortgage crisis, which was essentially like having a front row seat for the end of the world. So let me stop
0: you there. How did that, yeah, what, yeah. how did the jump from, did you just have a moment when you're like, I'm not, this isn't going to be my future?
1: No. So, okay, so I'll, I'll go backwards and then I'll come back to the poopy divers in a second. So <laughs> uh, Rave Promoter um, produced a big event in LA that attracted the attention of a record label. Record label comes and offers me a job as the A&R guy. I literally didn't even know what a r meant had to go Google, actually, there wasn't Google, then I had to go ask somebody, what is A&R? It's artists and repertoire. Right. You're the guy responsible for signing the artists and then cultivating mm. those relationships. Um, so I did that for a few years. And then, you know, 2002, 2003 hit, which if you remember what that was in the music industry, that was the dawn of Napster, music pirating, CD burning, file sharing. The record industry imploded. Mm. I mean, it was unbelievable. It happened like that. And people were getting laid off by the thousands, and sadly, I was one of them. So I... Got an opportunity to go out on tour. I just signed Mixmaster Mike from the Beastie Boys. Oh wow! Yeah. He asked me to go out as By his the tour way, manager.
0: Playing, I don't know if you know that he's pl- there's a place in Venice where I live, three blocks from my house, and we should go. He's playing the Venice West Are next you month. Mixmaster Mike is he's playing.
1: Unreal! Venice, you got to go, him. man.
0: Venice West. I okay. think it's I think it's in February. I'm okay. back out for it. I, yeah, it's I mean, for cute. Sure. Like yeah, yeah. I, I've seen the Beastie Boys, and, and I'm like, how is? It's a li- you'll love it. It's a little bar. Oh, awesome okay uh, all right we'll, we'll connect yeah. on Sorry.
1: that yeah no um so mike got asked to go on tour with guns and roses which is a mo- the most unlikely of pairings i didn't like what mixmaster mike opening for guns unless you've toured with guns because axel is notorious for coming on at minimum an hour two hours late every night and you can't exactly ask the opening band to just keep play playing the <laughs> you just play another track play another song but you can't ask a dj to play another record play another record play another record so that's what we ended up doing every night so from there anyways i got linked up with ozzy and i got linked up with manson and i just ended up touring for like a year and a half and just saw the writing on the walls and was like I- i'm not I'm, i was like 22 23 and i'm like i'm not doing this for the next 40 years of my life so wait you're
0: 22 so how old were you when you started in the rave i
1: was 17 jesus yeah first party I threw, I was 17. And I I know this because the party got broken up. Um, I think the posted capacity was like 900 and we had like sixteen or 1,700 people in there. So they called the the fire marshal. I come outside and it is literally, I mean, you have two blocks that are completely blocked off with like helicopters up above, cops in riot gear, um, ambulances, fire trucks, the whole nine. My parents are there and they're looking at me going like, what the fuck have you done? And, you know, I didn't know this. If you throw an event, and it gets broken up for legal reasons, and they have to call out all of that support, guess who's paying for it? You. You are. Except they couldn't go after me, because I was a minor. Well, where did that come from? Where did that... I mean, you're 17 years old. Yeah.
0: Where did you get that drive, that sense of entrepreneurship to be... Because when I was 17, I was Confidence. not thinking. I was... I think I might have thrown a... In Philly, they used to call them beef and beers. You could rent a haul out, and you, and you get kegs of beer, and you charge like $10 a person, right. and you say it's for charity, and you keep the money, right? You know, uh, but that was about as ambitious as I got. Where did that come from? Were you just were, Was that just something that was ingrained in you?
1: Yeah. I've always just kind of been ambitious. I've always just sort of wanted to just kind of, what's next? Um,
2: you had a lemonade stand at 10. I'm right? sure i probably... If you asked
1: my mom, I probably yeah. did. Yeah, so I... Um, I didn't graduate high school. Um, I got my GED and decided that I wanted to just go straight into the workforce. High school just wasn't for me. And one of the positive outlets that I found was the rave scene, and I just took to it. It was just a very warm, inviting community. And and as soon as I saw how the dots are connected, I just thought, well, I can throw one of these. Let's throw one of these. It was more just about doing something with your buds. It was more just about having fun. I don't know that I was. So you were
0: tied in with the cool kids, though. Then you had because you have to know people to get them
1: to come to your thing, right? And then you got Yeah, but then you got to go raise capital, right? Then you got to raise money. I mean, these parties weren't costing millions, but back then, you know, it was probably 10, 20, 30 grand, but that was millions to me when I'm, you know, 17 years old. So So how do you raise the money? Just again, through like, People, I'm gonna say like older people we know they were probably like in the mid 20s, right? That like thought it'd be cool to you know be the financial older investor people. of a rave and like. <laughs> By the
0: way, do you ever walk into a property like this and go,
1: "Man, the rave I could throw here"? <laughs> I walk into almost every property and go, mm, the oh, go there." Yeah, yeah. The I mean, I was
0: there. looking. I mean, this house is spectacular. I mean, yeah. this I've you know it's, but I the one you were talking about that was the 149 million. 139. Home, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at that, going, they had a they had a nightclub. Yeah. A full-blown nightclub in the house and just going, how fun would that be? There's a
1: house up here in Bel Air not far from here that my partners James and David sold last year that you walk into the living room and there's this platform that's totally flush with the floor, but then it raises up and a DJ booth comes out of the floor and raises up like 10 feet high and it turns the whole place into a club.
2: That's insane. It's wild. Insane. It's Absolutely wild. Wow. Right,
1: we're going to yeah. move on to our last wine. Yes, Although I could we could sit here and talk to you all day. John. I mean
0: I'm well, we'll be hanging out at the Mixmaster Mike thing, right? <laughs> You're going to fly back out for that, Ash? I am. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the how can they got to be spinning? Yeah, just
2: sabotage. I have, you know. I'll just drink it out of the bottle. Yeah, give
1: yeah it perfect. Bottle. Oh, okay, do, you you. Just, yeah. do you
0: want to just do you want to dump into that?
1: Glass yeah, or we have two glasses there. Or, or just yeah, grab yeah, those, or yeah. Yeah, or yeah. You yeah, you just dump it in there. That's. I've or, reached the or, point yeah. where
0: you guys are on your own now. Okay, like right, earlier yeah. in the show, I was just yeah. pouring. So the wine we're having now is. Can I?
1: Sorry, get one more there. One more. Yeah. Is the Hawkeye
0: Mountain Cabernet Sauvignon from Kendall Jackson a 2019? From Alexander Valley, which is in Sonoma County, we all yep. know that. Yep. this is a hundred percent Cabernet Sauvignon, fourteen and a half percent alcohol, which they're lying about. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Whenever you see fourteen and a half percent in California, it's got to be at least fifteen, right? Don't you think? Kind of. With they the like the big. Air? They like the big ABVs, and you know we talked, do. We yeah. talked earlier about you cheers. know that Mouton Rothschild. Cheers, cheers. Those wines tend to be more in around eleven percent, but California. But I've come to really love California Cabernet. How
1: about you? That's my passion. I mean, first of all, speaking to your point, yes, we have warmer climates up here. Warmer climates produce more sugar. More sugar is going to equate to a higher alcohol content. So that's why it's going to be 14, 15% versus, say, 11% in like Burgundy. Um, but yes, I'm, again, born and raised here. My dad started taking me to Napa when I was a teenager. I haven't gone there my whole life. What was
0: your, yeah, what was your, oh, by the way, very quickly, so everybody knows, if you're out there listening, you want to get this $70 a bottle for this okay. one, okay? Um, what was your aha moment? Like, when was, when was the moment that you went, yeah, wine's going to be a big part of my life?
1: Um, my dad took me up to Napa when I was 15. We were having lunch at a restaurant called Etoile, which is a restaurant that's no longer open, but it was at Domaine Chandon. And we're sitting out on uh, the terrace overlooking the beautiful garden and the vineyards. And my dad orders a bottle of sparkling wine. And the waiter comes over and he looks at me and he goes, you're 21, right? And I go, yeah, of course. And he goes, and I asked for your ID. You showed it to me, didn't you? I said, yeah, obviously. He goes, okay, it's good enough for me. And my dad and I sat out there for the next like two hours and drank through this bottle. And it was just... I don't know, it was just a really eye-opening experience, and just I just developed a passion for it. And in my wine cellar at home, my, my most treasured collection of my wine cellar is not actually a bottle. It is that cork from that day. I still have it in my wine cellar. Well,
0: this speaks to what we talked yes. about earlier, because I watched That's how you lit up. moments. Yeah, you lit up talking about that. Yeah, and I felt you're, it. You're yeah. never going to forget that bottle, because no. it's you and your dad you know, yeah. sitting out there. And like, that's a memory that'll stay with you forever.
1: Yeah. And my passion has now far exceeded his, which is really fun. So for his 70th birthday, I surprised him by flying him to Napa, took him to the French Laundry, took him to Promontory, which was done by Harlan, and took him to like some of like the most world-renowned wineries you could possibly imagine. And to get to be on the other side of that relationship mm-hmm. now and get to take him and treat him and sort of share these experiences with him is everything. That's great. Yeah, it's awesome. That's I, what we're here for. That's yeah. right.
2: All these kinds of experiences...
1: I'll tell you this, so yeah. my, I, I wasn't raised religious, my parents raised me with a very simple belief that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those that eat to live, and there are those that live to eat, and never forget that we're the latter. Yeah. that was. I remember That's I, beautiful. my parents just ingrained that in me, that like, we are here to eat good food and drink good wine with our favorite people. That's what we're here to
0: my do. My mom interview. was like, hey... What do you want for dinner tonight? Crab macaroni and cheese, <laughs> or a cheese steak? <laughs> Philly cheese? Because that's what we're having. There are two options on the table here. Um, mine, I you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, Verite.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: Pierre Célan is the world famous winemaker for Verite, and I, really that was my mo- we were he came down. This was probably fifteen years ago, and we were at the Viceroy mm-hmm. uh, in Santa Monica, and he tasted me through these Verite wines, and that was the moment I went, oh boy. Look what I've been missing. Yeah. You know like we just go this is Yeah. something else, you know, and 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 they had some food come out and it's like you said, I mean, it's just this beautiful thing that was developed to complement food.
1: Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Anyone that says I don't like wine, my response is you haven't tried enough of it yet because nobody could try all the different wines out there and come away from it saying, yes, sir, I don't like any of that. There's rivers of great wine. There's oceans of great wine out there. And when you get to experience wine on a world-class level like you did in that moment, you go, oh my God, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that like that part of the world existed that now I've opened myself up to. It's, it's a very expensive hobby, but it's a really fun one.
0: You talk about the world. Oh, go ahead.
2: I was going to say that too. the cultivation of such fancy luxury, but the other side of the industry is hardworking, gritty, dirty, handsy. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, and that's the beauty is it's two sides to each coin.
1: Yeah. And I don't even know if we're talking about real estate or wine because it could be the same about both. Exactly. Right. Because wine making, wine making is farming. It it's is. tough. It's gritty. Yeah. It's all the things you yeah. just said. It's not like, you know, it's easy to sort of like romanticize it when you go to a winery and you're seeing the finished product poured in front, poured in a glass in front of you, but that's not what winemaking is. It's farming.
0: Yeah.
1: It's getting up at the crack of dawn and being out before the sun rises.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things too, I love it. And it, maybe for me more, spirits is kind of more my forte, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot about wine, but, but, and you'll get older spirits, but when you start looking at some of the collector wines, Do you ever think about the fact that sometimes you're drinking wine? You're like probably most of the people that made this thing aren't here anymore. This is their legacy. Like this is the thing. And again, I'll say that a lot more. Like you'll get that more in like scotch. If you're drinking a 60 year old scotch, everybody that made that's dead, right? You know. But with the wine, you know, if you if you drink a wine that was you know made in the 60s, the winemaker's gone. Yeah, probably the people that were farming the land they're all gone. Yet this they live on. Yeah, drinking. The legacy of these people.
1: Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it that That's way That's the but heaviest I love thing that. I've ever said. Actually, that is, yeah. Dan, that was That's deep. That's the most yeah. profound
0: thing you you're ever going to get out of me. Yeah, yeah you test me yeah. deep. You'll, you'll see when we're at Mixmaster Mike and I'm <laughs> fucking spinning around on Just the dance floor. Like, this idiot, about, yeah. this idiot about, yeah. said <laughs> that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, let me ask you this before we let you go because we do got to let you go. But um, you, uh, you you mentioned it, the, the world, the ocean of wine, as you put it. Where have you done much wine tourism outside of the United States? Where have you gone and and what are your, like, Favorite spots where you've gone?
1: Yeah. So my wife and I, just for context, we got uh, engaged in Napa. We got uh, married in Paso Robles and we honeymooned in Bordeaux. Um, so that was a nice little leg right there. Um, Bordeaux was great, but really more for the historical element, right? Just because you're sort of at like, I don't know, it feels sort of like the epicenter. So of
0: where it. did you Did you go to like Margot or any of those places? Did you no, hit any we of the... we went
1: to Ponte Cane. Okay. Um, and then we toured, you know, some smaller boutique wineries in Saint-Emilion and Pomerol. Yep. Um, we were in Tuscany last summer. Um, so that was fun. Um, Isn't that the...
0: I mean, I love France. I really do. But there's something about Tuscany. like oh, it's special. It's just yeah. so gorgeous. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very special. But honest to God, my favorite wine region is Napa. And I, I, I genuinely believe that the best wine on the planet comes out of Napa. I really do. And I know that's a bold statement. And I know a lot of people would, you know, think Napa, that that's...
0: Sonoma too? Or are you just saying Napa, just Napa?
1: Um, I'm going to go more on the Napa side. Because um, again, if you're going to Sonoma, you're really kind of competing against mostly Pinots. And I'm not going to put some of those Pinots up against some stuff that's coming from Burgundy. Um, but in terms of like... Bordeaux varietals, right? If you're looking at like the same wines that we've produced in Bordeaux, Centimillion Pomerol that come out of Napa, first of all, it's not a fair comparison, New World versus Old World, because it's not a fair fight, right? We get to self-irrigate. We get to blend differently. There's a lot of more restrictions over there that just doesn't make it a fair, balanced fight. But if you're just looking at what that tasting experience is, I'm sorry, the best wine in the world comes out of Napa.
0: You heard it here. Look at that, Ash. There go.
1: We've what do you think? It. I'll like never it. be invited you know where to the be- You know where the yeah. best yeah. wine They're in the world does not passport. come from? chattanooga no sadly
0: i'm gonna say the tennessee with no. all due respect to tennessee great wine region, winery. No, no. Yeah. good music, yeah. good, music we, good music good i don't know much about chattanooga. cowboy boots and stuff fried chicken but, yeah. we got, that. Yeah. Fried chicken. Yeah, we got is that fried chicken is that, is that your thing fried, fried chicken, chicken? Some what is beans. what is chattanooga known for food is the that choo-choo. it but here's a little
2: fact chattanooga has the fastest internet in america who knew?
1: Are you serious right uh, now?
2: Yes.
0: Gig and City. this is what, like, That's you guys have bumper
1: stickers or we like, do. okay, we
0: have, we, yeah, absolutely. We okay. know why they need it to be Google. speedy. So when people are googling, how do I get the fuck get out of <laughs> They get an answer quickly. <laughs> Kidding. Y'all uh, come Philly, visit. y'all come visit. What are we known for, Philly? What would it? Well, cheesesteaks, steaks cheese and, and, and tasty cakes, and
1: I don't know, uh, tasty cakes, but violence
0: at sporting events. Uh huh.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Some and, harsh fans.
0: We'll see. By the time this show ends, so we're taping this two days before the NFC Championship. Um, Hopefully, when you're listening to this, you're going, man, Dan's lucky. His Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. And if they're not, well, I then, think you guys got this. Next I'm, episode, yeah. we'll be crying.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think you guys got this. Do you, are you a sports fan? I'm a huge sports fan. Who's your team? Patriots.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. You mentioned that. So over. my uncle. Was, how, did, so how did that happen?
1: My uncle was the offensive line coach for the Patriots for okay. thirty three 33 years. So, I mean, it was ingrained in me. It's like, you know.
0: Did he work under Belichick, too? Or? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, he just retired. He retired the same year that Brady left. When Brady left to Tampa, to Tampa Bay, they had sort of made a pact. Because, again, he coached Brady's O-line. So, when they kind of made a pact that, like, look, I'm here as long as you're here. So, when Brady left, my uncle am who was I, you know, 72 set the imagining this? Retired.
0: Am I imagining this? Did this happen on the show? Because, again, it was in a, a freak binge of, of <laughs> buying Beverly Hills. Did somebody say that, did you guys sell Brady's house? Was that on the show, or did somebody else tell you
1: No, we didn't. You didn't?
0: Okay. I I could have sworn somebody said that you guys.
1: No, he had a place here in Brentwood that he sold to Dr. Dre probably six, seven years ago, maybe. Um, Maybe longer now. But uh, no, sadly, not involved in that one. Love to, though. Right. Yeah, that's my boy.
0: So what's uh, the, the final thing before we go? What is your you know, you're, you're doing well, you're on TV, you're making money selling real estate. Do you ever think to yourself, I'd like to have my own winery someday? Yes. Cause you mentioned it earlier. Yes. And when you said it, I saw a little twinkle in your eyes. I do. I do you yeah. ever think to yourself, I'm going to do this? Like, would your wife want to do that as oh, well? Oh, For sure.
1: Yeah. Um, my wife isn't as passionate about it as I am, but she's a really great passenger. Um, she's just, she's, she's happy to go along for any ride. Um, uh, it would be a passion project for us. It would never be something that a I'd want A small, like, you're
0: looking at like a boutique 100%. thing.
1: This is a like, I've gotten to a place in my life where I can dabble in this for fun and not be concerned about turning a profit because I'm not looking to like build a career on it, but rather to just, I don't know. I think it would be something great, a great legacy to use. Could to you
0: imagine point. sitting at your winery, at your tasting room with the wine you made or if you bring in a winemaker, but it's your wine. And just pouring for people and being like, what do
1: you think? That's got to be such a... I I sold the house to some clients of mine that lived down here but bought a place up in Napa a couple years ago. And it was such a great situation. They had the house and then two uh, acres of planted mature Cabernet that they already had a contract to sell it to a top producer up there. I won't say who. And the contract came up for renegotiation. And as part of their renegotiation, they said, we will uh, make two cases per year under your own label that you guys can have just for your friends and family. Which is so cool. Like, I mean, what, again, just like that little. Like, I wouldn't need much more of a connection than that, just to have some kind of connection to brand it with. Like, my wife and I have always joked about, you know, you know, you've made it when you have a family emblem. Like, if you ever get to like, <laughs> yeah. when you have a, like a family crest, yeah, you've made you've it. You've made it, right? So we've always sort of joke about like what would go on a family crest. Let's well, from, from rave to wine. That's you. Yeah, actually, well, I, wine I do could know the be name called already. raving. That's raving. Yeah. We know. We like know
0: the it. name already. The name like would be it. East Olive.
1: East Olive. East Olive? East Olive. My son's name is East, and my daughter's name is Olivia. Oh,
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. All right, I keep saying one last thing, but you mentioned wine. Why, given that you're clearly well-versed in wine, you are a wine connoisseur, why on the show does Ben, who I've mentioned earlier, why does Ben get the scene where he's quizzing his significant other on, he's tasting her through wine, and uh do you remember this part yeah, of of course I do. yeah
1: why wasn't that you because ben is an actual psalm oh he is ben's a sommelier yeah oh, so wow. I, I so look, do you guys get together and go out sure and, yeah, oh, yeah of course but like he always we don't have the same palate he what the way i feel about napa wine he does not share he doesn't so, no no he likes really interesting obscure complex wines um, and to me, you know, wines can be one of two things. They're either going to be really smooth or really complex. And I'm getting very, I mean, that's, you know, two like generalities there, but he likes the really more obscure minerality, complex wines. I like just that lush, silky smooth, elegant sort of wine.
0: Okay. Well, I can't wait to try East olive wine someday. And I'll yes, say first vintage
1: 2040.
0: I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. Well, listen, it's been a real thrill, John, uh, Likewise. talking to you and thanks for inviting us into this, um, we're going to go play some hoop after this. Asher. Full-on basketball court in here. I mean, when you say ballroom. full basketball a court, full just to so be clear, full-size yeah. indoor we're gonna
1: go basketball We're going to go play
0: court. some hoops after this. Yeah. So i have a little more.
2: this ballroom behind us. This so is it. We're going to get in there. That's, um, yeah, that's right. I'll
0: see y'all in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, play. Buying Beverly Hills is on Netflix, and I'm telling you, I'm not getting... It's an. Once you start watching it, you're not going to stop. It's in, we and hope they're, not. obviously they're going to do another season. I'm guessing on this
1: oh, thing. I hope so. Still no official word. Lots of mumblings and grumblings, it was a hit. It was. A hit I would show, think so. Right? I mean, we were top ten in over thirty countries, but I don't know. Look, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm, I just sell houses, as I said. Uh, at the beginning. I don't know. Look at him. Oh, yeah. look, at, <laughs> look at his false modesty over there.
0: Um, Ash McHugh, all the way in from Chattanooga. Thank you. She much. did. She actually made a big yeah. effort to get That's here. Really sweet. She was supposed to go back. To, Right now, you're supposed to be on a plane back right now. And I told her what I was doing, and she's been on the show before. And and she said, oh, I'd love to come do that with you. And she said, I'll change my flight just to meet you and to be here. Very sweet. uh,
2: Eyebrows.
1: Yeah, the eyebrows. The fisherman can always spot another fisherman. There you go. go. Uh,
0: Invite you uh, to follow. Where where they find you on the social media?
1: Uh, Just on Instagram, uh, which is at John Grauman. Where'd you come up with that? (laughs) 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 Um, And then also uh, bongcollective.re
0: okay Ash (laughs) Miss
2: Ash McHugh
1: (laughs) Miss Ash McHugh I'm of course at the imbiber podcast
0: has an IG called WWD underscore podcast but we ignore that it's me the imbiber go there um, and uh, check it out check out the show buying Beverly Hills